If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. One of the things that's, uh, that's very difficult for many of us at times is finding ourselves yearning for certain things in our lives and we passionately want them and we fall short in, in attaining those things. How many of us when we were growing up, we, we had certain dreams and aspirations of what we wanted to become, right? When I was a little child, I wanted to be a hockey player. That's what I really wanted to be. I looked at hockey players and I thought, man, those guys are the best. Like, I want to just become a hockey player. I don't want to do anything else in life. What's not to love, right? Getting paid to play a sport. Nothing better than that, right? And, and as you grow up, you, you, you start realizing that some of those dreams and aspirations that you have, as great as they are, they might not be realistic. They might not be something you can actually attain, right? And one of the difficulties for us many times is as we get older, uh, we tend to find ourselves giving ourselves a pass on many of the things that we ought to actually still strive for. And I think one of the things that we give ourselves a pass is the, in the Christian life is running the race that God has set before us. God has set each of us that are believers, disciples of Jesus, a race that we have to run. And that race is specific to you. It's not something where you're competing with another believer or somebody else in the church. You're ultimately competing between what God's standard for your life is and what you're living. And many times what happens with us is we tend to give up the more we fail, right? How many of us have given up in a lot of areas in our lives? I know I have, right? Well, I've tried this so many times, it's not working. Well, God's word actually gives us the encouragement that we need to have in order to persevere and continue in the race that God has set before us. We're going to be looking at two things in, in, this, in this text. Number one, run with purpose in verses 24 through 25. And number two, run with discipline, verses 26 through 27. Let's start with the first one, run with purpose. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. What's interesting here is that Paul has spent much of his letter to the Corinthian church explaining the importance of the gospel and how he's ministered to them and his personal expense that he actually invested a lot into these people. And many times what happens throughout this letter that we read is that Paul is constantly defending himself to these Corinthian believers. What, what happened is many of these believers looked at Paul as something less than the other apostles. They didn't view him in the same light as they did Peter, for example. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, who's also called Saul in the book of Acts, as we covered weeks ago, was called as an apostle to the Gentiles. Yet in all his ministry, he made sure to offer the gospel message to the Jewish people. In fact, I would recommend the study Pastor Rizzo did on restoring a biblical paradigm for evangelism when it comes to this. Paul came across pushback from the Corinthians and his apostleship to the point of having to defend his apostleship before them and even the right to partake of the fruit of his ministry. In fact, what's interesting is Paul tells the Corinthians he does not understand how they're so opposed to, to him on this. In fact, earlier in the chapter, he talks about financial support in verses 3 through 12. 
In fact, Paul here worked hard as a tent maker because some of the churches showed support to him as an apostle, but the Corinthians kind of found it beneath them. Which makes me wonder, what's interesting is Paul makes the argument that Corinth didn't view him at the same, as the same status as they did Peter. What boggled me when I was reading through this is, why didn't Peter write something on Paul's behalf? The question I asked myself. Uh, why did Paul have to kind of feel like he had to defend himself here? Well, Paul lists many different reasons why financial support for his ministry was important. First thing he mentions earlier is that other ministers receive support. So if other ministers of the gospel receive support, why am I not allowed to do so? Another thing he mentions is the oxen were given of the grain that they helped in treading. Like even the oxen were fed. Another thing that he mentions is, having ministered to them, this precedent is set all the way back to the Old Testament. In fact, the priests were supported by those that had given tithes of crops and animals and at times gifts. Paul tells them, I have reason to partake, not because I'm worthy of anything ultimately, but because I'm ministering in the gospel and everybody should be able to participate and partake of that ministry. What's interesting is that Paul said, look, I didn't want to take advantage of you, so I made sure I worked another job. And I did whatever it took to reach others for the gospel. If that would be our heartbeat, believers, that we would do whatever it takes to reach others with the gospel, whatever it costs us financially to reach others with the gospel. In order for us to desire to serve to win others for Christ, we need to be aware of how we are serving those that are closest to us closest to us proximity-wise. Take a moment, and I want you to pause and think about this. Think of how you've been serving in these areas. How do you serve people in, this, in this, these areas? Let's start with your family. How, do you, how, do you, how are you doing in serving your family? Your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren. How are we doing in all this? How are you doing in serving the church? Is that something that's a priority to you? Have you been willing to listen to those that are hurting? Or do you figure, hey, everybody's got problems, nobody wants to hear mine, so I need to help them with theirs? Have you been available to help the ones that are in need around you? What have you done to serve somebody that can't serve you back? You see, there are a lot of people that can't really give you much back. But you're not called to serve them so they can give you something back. You're called to serve them regardless of whether they could do so. What about your coworker, your boss? Yes, you may actually be getting paid for what you're doing, but when they have you in mind, do they see you as somebody that serves and that serves faithfully? Do you care to make the gospel shine through your work effort? An uncaring, lazy, angry, spiteful employee will always be a poor exa example of the gospel will always be a poor example of the gospel. It really doesn't matter how much you want to share Jesus if you're a lazy person and angry all the time with how the company's doing things. Your message is just not going to resonate, believer. It just won't. In fact, the people that you meet every single day that you've probably met for the first time, let's say you're at a restaurant, let's say you're driving and you go to the drive through window, what is your response to them? How do you view your relationship with other people? Do you care to see the needs of people around you? Or are you focused on your own needs? Are you the first priority in your life? You see, Paul tells us here in verse 24 that we've been saved from eternal damnation. 
and we're running with a purpose. We have something greater that we're striving for. We're running in a race, and this race is eternal because one day we'll be with Christ and be rewarded by him. Believe me, you're going to be rewarded by Christ. You're not just going to see him. He's going to reward you for what you've done in this life. This race, that, this race that Paul was connecting the Corinthians to was something that they were familiar with in their culture because they actually had a race that was similar to something that would be around 600 feet that people would race against one another in. The race that we're in is not one where we're competing against one another. We're competing against the standard of God's word and how we're doing in attaining that. In fact, God has placed a specific calling on each and every one of our lives, and he wants us to live that out. If you're concerned with how others are living their calling out, then you're not focused on your race, and you need to be focused on your race. There's a purpose, believer, and that purpose is to be like Christ and to make him known. That's the purpose of the race. The purpose of the race is not so you can just be rewarded handsomely. The purpose of the race is to make Christ known and to be conformed to his image. If you're aiming to make it about yourself and you want, you want that out of this life, then you've missed the gospel message entirely, believe me. The gospel is not given to you because you were worthy. Not a single one of us was worthy. It was Jesus that made us worthy because of what he has done. It's, it's about him, it's not about us. The problem that's happened in the evangelical church is that once politics are brought up, many tend to tone down some of their biblical positions because they think it's elevating the gospel to do so. Because, well, we don't want to offend the world. Nothing can be further from the truth. Nothing can be further from the truth. Many are proclaiming justice in our nation without demanding the same justice from God's perspective. We should be careful not to sit idly by when injustice is done in our country against those who are made in the image of God. This year has been very tense for many. I'm sure most of you have paid attention. It's not exactly something that's hard, that's very easy to ignore. It's right in your face every single day. With each passing day, everyone keeps asking, when does this get better, right? Like, when is this all going to get better? I'm not here to burst your bubble, believer. I'm really not. But a nation that doesn't care for the things of God, that rejects God's word, embraces sin and self-worship, cannot expect for it to get better. It just can't. We as citizens of the United States have an incredible privilege to vote, and we are to serve our country as well. Do you find yourself serving this nation, or are you waiting for everybody else to serve? You see, one of the difficulties in the tension of this election is that constant noise that we're bombarded with with on social media, the news, our family, our friends, maybe even the articles we've read throughout this last year from, from different perspectives of the different party candidates, a hundred reasons why you should vote for so-and-so, a hundred reasons why you shouldn't vote for so-and-so, and then why both are horrible, right? Like So it's interesting. We've been bombarded with all sorts of information this last year, and the goals for our country are variable when it comes to the different citizens. They vary with the different people that we listen to. As disciples of Jesus, we do need to understand, first of all, and, and i got to remind you of this, and I have to remind myself of this. This world is not our home. The United States is not the first priority. I know that will shock some of you. 
I know some of you, 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 you bleed red, white, and blue, and it's like offensive that I just said that. But your allegiance is to Christ, first of all. Your allegiance is not to a Republican or Democrat party or Libertarian or Green, whatever party you want to pick. Your allegiance as a believer in Jesus Christ is to him. You're covered by the blood of the Lamb. It should matter to you that he gave his life for you more than it matters that others have for this nation. Your allegiance is to him, first of all. As far as politics go, we need to discern using Scripture and not just go along with whatever has always been done in our political landscape. Whatever pulls the most at our heartstrings, the latest news report, whatever our favorite author says, these may all be our go-to, but they should not be the ultimate for the Word of God. God's standard should be the ultimate for us. In running the race, each of us will be accountable to God for who we decided he would want for our nation. Before we look at a few truths from Scripture, I want to start off by giving what I, what I believe is a very obvious truth, but not so obvious to a lot of people in America right now. There are no perfect candidates during this election season. I just want to remind you that even if you assume that in the 80s and 90s it was so, you're mistaken. Okay? I don't know why when people have this discussion, they, they assume that, well, in the good old days, we had some real candidates. Okay, well, real candidates that had other affairs as well? What, which candidates are we referring to? JFK? Like, for real. I, I don't understand where we come from with this. Both political parties excuse their particular candidate and what they've done wrong. Both sides do this. But there's more than just their character at stake, believer, and we're going to talk about that this morning. There's other things that you need to put into consideration. So some quick points of conversation here. Number one, this is important for you, believer, to understand right off the bat. Government is ordained by God to punish evildoers. It's ordained by God to punish evildoers. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Another text that's very similar that really gives us a point on this, Proverbs 29, verse 2. Believe me, you have to understand, this is important as a na for our nation. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. If the government is ordained by God to punish evildoers, then does it matter which candidate I vote for? I would argue that it does. I would argue that it does. Absolutely. And here's why. Because in many nations, what is considered evil in God's eyes is actually interpreted as good. What is considered evil in God's eyes has been translated to being good in that culture. And that's dangerous. Just some examples, okay? God says that we are made in his image in Genesis. That means that the baby in the womb matters as much as the full-grown adult. 
Once you and I decide someone made in God's image can be eliminated and that choice should come from someone outside that individual, we've made what God considers good to make sure that we do not murder someone made in God's image. We've considered that now to be a good thing, that we've done that. What's evil is now considered good. God clearly reveals throughout Scripture that he's designed human beings for relationships. And he's clearly defined how those relationships should operate. And the government decides sexual immorality is not just to be tolerated, but celebrated and redefined against what God actually reveals in his word. And we're supposed to be okay with that as believers, right? We're supposed to be perfectly fine. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what platform people have. If you want to see what a nation that does good in its own eyes looks like, look no further than Romans chapter 1, when God shows you the debasement of man. He shows you the progression of the depravity of man, where we claim to be wise, but we're really fools. We're so progressive that God literally looks at it and says, you're foolish, you're foolish. We exchange the truth of God as revealed for our own version that continually progresses to something that is further and further away from the Word of God. For me, one of the most shocking statements and things I can't believe we even admit is a possibility is progressive Christianity. In what ways does the Bible need an update? In what ways does God's moral code need an update? What's astounding to me is the ability for many to reason through what a politician stands for and still not understand what they're voting for. As a side note, this country was founded with more of a pluralistic more, uh, mentality, if you will, allowing all belief systems, if you will, to coexist. But the predominant position, believer, believe it or not, was the founders actually want a Judeo-Christian setup. They started with that premise in mind. In areas you're struggling to clearly see who you need to vote for, you need to know that there are some other things to consider than just what particular candidate has, sta has stated about their position. Let me give you a few examples. What is their relationship to the morals and ethics of Scripture? What is the candidate's relationship to the morals and ethics of Scripture? Do they tolerate certain sins? They aren't really moral police but they tolerate certain sins? Do they openly endorse certain sins? Because I think that's different. Openly endorse certain sins. They identify with a particular sinful behavior. Or will they enforce certain sinful behavior? You see how those three are different. And we conflate them all to one and assume that all three of those categories are the same thing. They're not believer. And I'll explain that in a little bit here. Because there are some that will enforce certain views on your children that you are going to be opposed to, believer. And there's a difference between living and let living people and people that are enforcing and indoctrinating. There's a difference. There is a difference. Especially when they make it a crime to disagree with their latest deviation from Scripture. You are not just voting with yourself in mind. Think of the others around you especially if you're nearing the finish line when it comes to this life. Some of you are closer than others. What kind of world do you want to leave your children? What world do you want to live for your grandchildren? Here's another big question to ask. 
Who is giving this candidate that I want to vote for advice? Who's got their ear? Take the candidates and replace them with the vice president pick that they have. Do you like that pick better or worse? I'm going to tell you, very quickly shows up to me who I think I would pick right away if I went to vice president first. Would the agenda be better or worse with those closest to them? You got to think through this, believer. These are a lot of questions I don't see other people asking, and I'm going, why aren't you asking these things? Oh, they're just bad. This bad. Do you know any other questions to ask besides people are bad? Last time I checked, only God is good. What part of that did you miss in the Bible? Here's another one. This is a big one, believer. I think this matters in every area of life, whether you're in a business, whether you're in the church, whether you're running for office. What have they done historically? Some of these folks have been in office for a while. They've got a record. If we're too stupid to go look it up, it's our fault. What people have done in the past matters what they're going to do in the future. Absolutely does. Very few change their positions on a lot of things. A great indicator of what a leader will be is what they have done. Do people change in some ways? Of course they do. But I would, ra- I, would, I would actually propose to you that most people don't have the radical change that Saul had on the road to Damascus, okay? I would say that's the exception, not the rule. The way one is governed with Christian principles in mind and their relationship to the Bible will tell you a lot of what they will do in the future. The way that they have dealt with other Christians in the past will tell you what they will do with Christians in the future. Some politicians do their best to live by Christian morals and do the best that they can. Some are live and let live. Although they may not agree with your principles on everything, they will not come after people of faith because they believe what Scripture says about sin. Others, and believe I need you to pay attention to this part because it's so true. Others are vindictive and have historically gone after people that disagree with their worldview. You need to do your research. I'm not telling you who did what. If you have not done your homework on it, then you have no right to say that you, don't, you know or don't know what a person stands for. You need to get beyond just Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, okay? You do. You need to study these things and compare them to the Word of God. All this needs to be taken into consideration. And here's why I say there's a difference between these styles of leadership. And this is why I think a lot of people, they go to one text of Scripture and they go, oh, this proves my point and I'm done. Like I read an article this last week, and i got to tell you, it bothered me more than most articles I've read in a long time. It was a person just kind of falling flat and not even giving you anything objective. It was just this wishy-washy article that made you feel like, well, who, I, who should I vote for there? Then this guy doesn't even know. See, when it comes to the different approaches, and I said, you know, some people, they do try to live by Christian principles. Some people are live and let live. Look, you know what? I'm not going to bother you. You don't bother me. I'm not going after you. And then some people are just straight up vindictive. They're going to go after you because you believe differently than they do. I want you to think of people like Nero and the early Christians. And I also want you to think of Darius and Nebuchadnezzar when it comes to Daniel and his friends. I think there's a difference there. 
Nero was vile and vicious towards the disciple of Christ, whereas Darius didn't really care who Daniel's God was. He really didn't. He didn't worship him, at least not originally, right? But he didn't really care. Sure, they were conquered, but but he literally let him serve with them, right? Because Daniel was a wise man. He had the business skills, if you will. All, All politicians have a past. I know that's a shocker, right? All politicians have a past. Believer, you have a past. I got to tell you, I'm glad I never run for political office. All sorts of weird stuff they could pull up on you. Really weird stuff. When Pastor Roman was in Christian school, he was one of the worst kids and blah, blah, blah. Some of you can attest you now. You were around. Oh, my word. Like, you know, this is unrealistic sometimes. And sadly, what people do is they condemn those who really are doing what they've done. You see, many people that are spouting off about adultery and all this other stuff, they themselves have done it. And yet they've got this pious, like, I'm better than them anyways. This race that we run as believers has a purpose, and that purpose is conformity to Christ, believer. To make him known. This will require... A word many of us don't want to hear, but here it is. Discipline. Discipline. Number two, run with discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, 26-27. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So as you and I realize that there's something greater we're after than just this life, we need to remember some things. This tension that's been built up in this nation, we need to realize that we have something to do about this as well. We need to run our race with discipline. We can't get distracted by everything that's going on. Listen, if you're so concerned about everybody else and how they're living their life, you've missed what you're supposed to be doing. You're to be disciplined in your run, in your race. And sadly, most Christians are distracted by everyone else in their race, that they're not concerned with their own. If you want to make sure our leaders have certain qualities and principles that they live by, you ought to have them yourself. That's going to be a different sermon than most people probably preach on politics. Proverbs 25, 28, and I like this in the Amplified Version. Listen to what it says. Like a city that is broken down and without walls, leaving it unprotected, is a man who has no self-control over his spirit and sets himself up for trouble. Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27 is saying, I'm determined to be in it to win it. I'm not running for no reason here. I'm going to win. I'm going to do everything in my power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to win. I'm not going to get distracted by all the other stuff that's going on. I'm not ignoring it, but I'm just not going to let the other stuff consume me. And sadly, some of you know this is true. You've been consumed by this past year. Your walk with God has suffered because you've been worrying about everything that Fox News tells you to worry about. Or CNN, or whatever one. 
You're too worried about everything going on that the Word of God has taken a back seat. You want to run the race? You need the manual. You need to be in there. Paul's like, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I don't care what everybody else is doing around me. I'm not quitting what God has called me to do. Even if this carnal church doesn't appreciate my gospel endeavor, I'm going to do whatever it takes to share the gospel with people, to live the gospel out. Even if my Jewish brothers reject the gospel message, anything that happens in my life, I'm going to maintain discipline. This might surprise you a little bit, but I'm going to tell you something that should not shock you at all. You know what the easiest thing for you to do right now, believer, in this political landscape? Is to vote. That's actually the easiest thing to do. That's actually the easiest thing to do. But you know what's harder? To live out the things we're saying we're voting for. I'm voting for the sanctity of life, right? How precious do you find your children, parents? How much do they matter to you? How broken are you personally when you see the broken lives that have been devastated? We need to personally get involved in these areas and not just be so vocal on Facebook, believer. It's easy to post a stat. It's easy to post an article. It's a lot different to go and say, you know what, I'm going to fight against atrocities in our country. I'm going to live with my children being precious to me because I do value the life that God's given them. The amount you value life is going to be determined by how much time you give that yourself, not how quickly you vote on a certain ticket. I'm voting for my religious freedom, right? That's a lot of the big statement this year. How many around you know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ that faithfully walks with him? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's easy to just go, hey, I'm voting for my religious freedom. Well, how much, how much of Jesus comes out of your mouth? instead of complaining all the time at your work environment. But I'm voting for religious freedom. I want to be given the right. Have you been using that right? Have you kept your mouth shut because you're too scared to say anything? Do they know more about your political affiliation or about Jesus when it comes to you? Did you watch Tucker last night? Or hey, here's what I read from the Word of God. Here's what we discussed in church last week. Like, what, what, what gives? What's the priority? Here's one. I'm voting for my children's future. Right? That's a big one. I'm voting for my children's future. How, per, how important is your children's ed education to you personally right now? How much of a priority does it take? If you put very little into making your children are taught God's word and allow them to be exposed to worldly philosophy, what are you voting for? For somebody else to do it for you? Parents, your children are your responsibility. I don't want to break that to you any other way. Your responsibility is to your children. It isn't the president's job to educate your kids. It's not the president's responsibility 
to make sure your children walk faithfully with God. How's the family devotions coming along, believer? You want to further the education of your children in the ways that please the Lord? How's the family time around the Word coming? How's the time that you said you'd spend with your children to make sure you discuss the things of God? Here's another one. I'm voting against sexual immorality. I'm voting for moral purity in this country. Oh, really? How are you doing in being faithful to your spouse? Man, what are we looking at? What are we consumed by? Oh, we're all concerned about the candidates on the ticket, right? Man, they're so impure, they're so immoral. Your race is your race to run. How are you personally doing in staying away from sins that you supposedly condemn politicians for? Do you condemn the world for acting like the world? Well, you don't act like a follower of Jesus yourself? Only self-righteous professors of Jesus would get off their high horse on both sides of the aisle when it comes to their personal walk with God and do what God's called them to. I'm voting against corruption. It's a big one lately. How do you hold up your end of the bargain with your employer, employee? Do you put your full effort in? What about God and what he's blessed you with? You just hoard it for yourself? Or are you going, you know what? God's given me these things. I'm going to use them as a blessing. My house that he's given me is going to be used as a blessing for him. The money he's given me is going to be a blessing for others. The variability to work is a gift from God. Did you know that? Deuteronomy clearly tells us that. The money you have is already his, believer. You're not really giving something that's yours. You're giving back what's already been given. The money you already have is his. The currency that is God's is not just dollars. It's in everything he's given you. The time, the possessions, the talents, the skills, what are you doing in using those things? If you're worried about corruption in politics, but you realize that you yourself are not doing the things that God's wanted you to do, then you have corruption yourself. And what God wants you to be more concerned with than who you vote for is what you are doing in your own life. You are stealing from him. Talk about corruption. I'm voting for lower taxes. That's a big one, right? I don't want my taxes raised, right? That's a big one for a lot of us that are like libertarian leaning in that area. At least I don't like paying taxes. Maybe you do. But. Is any of that going to even matter when it comes to living for the kingdom of God, believer? Or is it just something that you and I will use to spend on ourselves? How many people, Christians, when they vote for that, right? They're like, man, that extra money that I'll save in taxes, I will now invest in the kingdom. Like, is that most of our thought right away? 
Like that extra $500 that I'm going to get now, I'm going to invest it towards missions or to help others out. Are we going, eh, thank you. It's mine. I earned it. Me. It's mine. It's wise to save money, believer. And it's wise to pass it down to our children. That's being biblical. But many times we're able to get more money in our pockets and don't even do the things that God's called us to with the amount that he's given us. Paul finishes this text by saying he's disciplined because everything that he's told others he does not want to be disqualified for. What Paul's getting at here is I don't want to be a failure when it comes to the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 27. But I discipline my body and bring it to subjection, lest when I have discipline. Uh, preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. I was going, you know what? I'm concerned about me. There's a lot going on, but I'm concerned mainly about me. I don't want to be a failure when it comes to the gospel. I preach the gospel to others. I don't want to be a failure when it comes to that and living it out. I don't want to be a hypocrite when it comes to the gospel. If the gospel is important to us, believer, then maybe we need to stop and pay attention to how exactly people portray us. One of the difficulties in this election, and I think this is one of the problems that you hear a lot in politics, is that when people identify with a certain candidate, people assume that everything they stand for is that candidate. That's just not true. I, don't th I can't think of a single candidate that I've really connected with on every point. And even the candidates that I thought were great candidates, the more I've researched them after the fact, I went, my goodness, why did I assume they were that great? That president was supposedly pro-life. Never did anything for pro-life people. Paul says, I don't want to lose my testimony before the world when it comes to the gospel. Disciples of Christ, you need to understand one thing, and you need to really get this down. Your testimony does matter. More than the party that you're voting for. Because here's what I think is stunning and a lot of people don't pay attention to. Yes, there are some people that are going to go, you voted for this person, so you're just a hypocritical Christian. I get it. The arguments are always there. I understand that. But you know what people can't argue with? Testimony. People can't argue with that. There may be a lot of things that people disagree with you on, but if they know that you're consistently walk, walking with the Lord and you're consistently living out your faith, they can't argue with that. No matter who you're voting for. This should be our desire, as it was Paul's. That I want to run the race and I don't want to get disqualified. I don't want to get disqualified. So in conclusion... Simple question. Are you running this race? Are you in it to win it? Or have you given up? Are you in it to win it? Are you running the race that Christ has set for you, forth for you with discipline? You pacing yourself? 
Some of us, we just burn out quickly, right? That's one of the reasons why I said what I said about reading, the reading program. Some of you, you're really go-getters, and you get in, and you quickly burn out. Like, I'm going to read a whole book today. Genesis, done by this evening. And you get to Leviticus, and you bail the rest of the Bible. Did you forget that you're in a race, believer? This morning, I'm hoping to remind you of that. You're in a race. And your race is your race. Don't worry about everybody else. Your race is your race, believer. Don't be concerned with your spouse's race, ultimately, okay? Well, they're not running the way I am. I'm, a, I'm ahead. Careful. It's not over yet, believer. You've forgotten about this. It's not over yet. You may have fallen and stumbled, but it's time to get up and to be in it to win it. Jesus endured the cross, his race, if you will, and was triumphant over sin and death. We've all been given the tools necessary as followers of Christ to run the race with discipline. Why are we not doing so? It's worth it for him that ran the race set before him. He endured the cross because he found it worthy to present before the Father perfect obedience. If you don't know Christ, please come talk to me after service. Message us online if you're watching. There's no greater joy than a sinner repenting before God, no matter their political affiliation. Let's pray.